Good morning. It's great to see you here. Welcome to all you joining us online today, this Mother's Day. We're on our second message from the book of Daniel. And as we opened up the book of Daniel last week, we saw a couple things transpire that were life-changing for Daniel and friends. First of all, Judah's defeated and carried off into captivity. And Daniel and some of his friends are deported to Babylon. And these major changes in their life were just... uh, Earth, earth shaking um, for, the, for them. And these young Hebrew men go through some faith tests right off the get go. Um, first of all, they experience this faith test of isolation. They're taking from everything they know, from family, from parents, from the temple, from their form of worship, and they're cast into this uh, uh, totally different culture. And the gods were strange, and the culture was strange. And I'm, I'm, I'm convinced they, they, they felt very isolated. And then they um, experienced this indoctrination of the Babylonians. The Babylonians were masterful in assimilation, and, and the way they did that was they basically... Uh, took the best of the best from the enemies that they defeated, and they would uh, put them through training, through their uh, learning of their literature, learning uh, of their language. And what they're trying to do is create loyal Chaldeans from the, their, their enemies. And so Daniel, friends, uh, had to resist this, this uh, indoctrinational kind of effort that was being forth, uh, put forth to them. And then they experienced compromise, too. They were being asked to compromise. The Babylonians set before them this great feast, all this food. Trouble was, it was unclean to the Hebrews. And for them to eat it would be a, a point of defilement. And so right away, we see they're at this really awkward position. Do we defile ourselves, or, or what do we do here? And then lastly, the last faith test that we looked at last week was this idea of confusion. Um, the Babylonians renamed them, trying to get them to give up their allegiance to Yahweh, the God of Israel, and to adopt the gods of the Babylonians. And so every time Daniel w- was referred to, it wasn't by his given name, it was by his, his uh, Babylonian name. And it would just be this kind of confusion that was uh, put forth towards them in order to try to, to change them. And so... Um, they really need to have their identity established in the Lord in order to stand fast against uh, such kind of confusion. And this catches us up to where we're going to start this day. So it's Mother's Day, right? Happy Mother's Day to all your moms. Yeah, and we're grateful for the women uh, of Grace Point and everything that you bring uh, to our body here. Uh, my mom uh, passed away about 17 years ago. And every Mother's Day, I reflect on her a little bit and miss her um, Probably more, the older I get, the more I actually miss her, which is strange, but that's how those kinds of things work. My mom came from a large family, uh, nine children. My dad came from a family of 13. So anyway, they both came from large families. So when we had a family of six, we're kind of toning it down a little bit. Um, But she had seven sisters. Uh, And she's one of them, two brothers and seven sisters were in that family. And whenever my mom would get together with her sisters, man, they would laugh. It was ridiculous. They just laugh and laugh and laugh and laugh and laugh. And my memory of, of, of them and the family gatherings was just this, this, this laughter, you know, and, and, and enjoyment of, of each other. And um, it was it's good. I kind of miss that. I kind of miss that from my extended family. Um, they, they, they're, uh, they're, uh, they'd say oofta a lot, um, and they'd laugh, and then they'd say some corny thing, and then they'd laugh, and then they'd go, oh, oofta. Oh, I must have heard oofta a thousand times whenever they got together, you know, being that Norwegian <laughs> background that I am. And so, uh, but one thing that was interesting about my mom, I would consider her a very gentle soul. Uh, she didn't raise her voice a lot. She was a very quiet, kind of unassuming personality. But every now and then, 
you, you see, we get to what I would call drawing the line in the sand point. Something, we're just not going to go there. And she kind of laid down the law. Anybody relate to me on this? And you know what? You would listen. <laughs> when that would happen, you would listen. Uh, okay, because this is not in her character to do this. And so this is a big, big deal to her. How many of you have ever gotten to a point in a relationship with somebody else or in a situation in your life where you just draw a line in the sand? Anybody get there? We say enough is enough. It's not going to go there. Or yeah, this is kind of a common thing. Well, we're going to, as we look into Daniel today, we're going to see that Daniel and friends do a line in the sand. And we're going to talk on what that means and, and how to do that correctly as a follower of God. Because if we're going to be people who are living a holy life in the midst of a fractured world, at points of time, we're going to have to say, I'm not going to cross this line. Enough is enough. I'll take the consequences, but here's a line in the sand I won't go over. Now, when I use that language, line in the sand, it means a point beyond which one will not go, a limit uh, to what one will not uh, do or accept. Okay, it just means enough is enough. Um, Daniel and friends faced off this, uh, this new culture. The, 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 the new culture was trying to, you know, uh, indoctrinate them. They were isolated. The new culture was trying to get them to uh, compromise their beliefs. And, and if nothing else, they were experiencing a whole bunch of confusion. And they get to this matter of food. We're going to read about it today. Uh, and they just go, enough. And it wasn't that the food was the issue so much as the food was representative of everything that was going on. And, and that became the line in the sand that they, they drew. Um, so at times, here, friends, uh, a line in the sand must be drawn no matter what the consequences, okay? And when you, when you draw a line in the sand, you've you got to have some considerations. You've got to take this to heart. What values, needs, expectations are being challenged in your life? And I'm going to say this. It can't be just about you. It's got to be about God and his values and his, his expectations. Those things have to become things that are being asked to be violated before we, we take this approach. Um, it, it, another consideration, if you're going to draw a line in the sand, is this. In, it, in what way did you draw the line in the sand? How are you doing that in your life? Is it by what you say? Is it by something you won't do? By something you will do? Um, when, when you're going to do something like draw a line in the sand, then how are you going to do that? And how are you going to maintain that kind of conviction in your life? And lastly, how might you describe the impact on you and others uh, of drawing that line in the sand? You always affect those around you, right? You always do. So when you decide enough is enough of something, what does that mean to your spouse? What does that mean to your kids? What does that mean to your parents? What does it mean to your friends? What does it mean to your work environment? You've got to take into consideration the effect it will have on those around you. So now with this bit of background, we're going to jump into uh, Daniel once again this morning. I'm going to read from chapter 1, verses 8 through 21, uh, and we're going to see that Daniel draws a line in the sand here. Here we go. But Daniel resolved, that's just a really nice way of saying he drew a line in the sand, not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I am afraid of my lord the king who has assigned you your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. 
Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. So their victory was they got to eat vegetables. Are you hearing this? I mean, that can't be what they were just after. I just want want you to hold that in mind. I'm pretty much a vegetarian now because of some things that have happened to me. I really like cake. (laughs) Anybody there with me? And there's some things I don't eat right now that I look at them and go, I would really love to eat that. It's just not good for me. So I can't believe that vegetables is just the reward here. Just, just, Just hang on to that thought. So to these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. That's the reward. We'll get to it. That's the reward. Are you hearing that? These guys were smart and they got heavenly wisdom. But at any rate, at the end of the time set by the king to bring them to, into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus, of Persia, by the way. At any rate, here we go. There are a plethora of relational dynamics taking place in the story of Daniel. I'm going to unpackage that for you just a bit this morning as a message unfolds. Um, but you've got to remember, what we're seeing here is a biblical example of a man dedicated to living holy in the midst of a fractured world. He models this for us really well, and there's all kinds of relational dynamics that will take place when you desire to do this as a follower of God that you've got to understand. And so I'm going to unpackage this a little bit for us uh, this morning. I want to begin with this first uh, uh, point about um, what it meant that Daniel drew a line in the sand. So Daniel resolved not to defile himself. In other words, what Daniel was doing here is he's saying, I'm staying true to my convictions. I'm staying true to my beliefs in God. I am resolving to stand fast in my God. I'm staying true to my identity, to who I am, okay? That's what he was doing. That's the first relationship that we see here that, that takes place is Daniel said, I got to say true to who I am. And God, I desire to live a holy life, God, even in the midst of this place that's so unholy. I want to live a holy life. That was his motive. If you wanted him to draw a line in the sand, listen, your motive has to be something beyond reacting or, or irritation. Your motive needs to be one of, I want to live holy before you, God. I want to do right before you. That has to be the motive behind drawing a line in the sand. Something where you say, I won't go beyond this. I just won't do it. Now, here's the challenge. What are the issues that demand this kind of resolve? If you fight everyone on everything, that's just being contrary and ornery. That's not being a person of conviction. That's being a person that's combative. And have you ever been around a combative person? Everything's a fight. It's exhausting. Behind Daniel's resolve is these faith tests that he's been experiencing of isolation and indoctrination and compromise and confusion. And basically the food became a symbol. It became a representation of saying, no, 
I'm not going to succumb to this Babylonian influence. I will not do that. And the food just became a means to an end. It wasn't the end. It was a means to the end. Um, it, it became an opportunity to stand their ground. And I want to talk about this point a bit because I think it's really important. If we're going to be people of God who live a holy life in the midst of a fractured world, a broken world, then we got to understand what does it mean to draw a line in the sand sometimes? What does that look like? Because if we don't do this really well, it's bad for us and it's bad witness to the world that we're trying to influence for the cause of Christ. It, it's, it's a difficult and and, and, and a tough situation to know how to draw a line in the sand. But hear this, hear this perspective. Um, every now and then when I'm feeling like I have a tough, I read Fox's Book of Martyrs. <laughs> and I read about all these old saints. I probably need to do that again because lately I've been kind of cranky. You ever just get cranky? And I read about all these saints who stood for their faith at insurmountable odds. And most of them gave their life standing for their faith. Sometimes when you draw the line in the sand, my friend, you die. That's the outcome. Right? We have to be that convictional on some of these things. That sometimes the outcome isn't as great of an outcome that Daniel experienced here. Sometimes the outcome is kind of tough. So you just got to have that perspective. But let's look into the supreme example of drawing a line in the sand. And that example, of course, is Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ, we're told in John 5.19 that he, he only did what he saw the Father do. So that was his line in the sand. I'm only going to do what I see my Heavenly Father do. That's what Christ lived by. And so Christ is baptized by, by John, right? In Acts chapter 10, 38, and, and the power comes on him from on high. And just 12 days later, he, we find him going to the temple. And what's at the temple? A bunch of money changers, a bunch of guys selling stuff, you know, in the temple court. And Jesus, what? Full of righteous anger, throws them out. So get out of here. You're making this into a den of thieves. My father's house will be called the house of prayer. What's going on? He's abiding in his father's will. He's doing what his father wants him to do. He's in, he's in this harmony with God. Uh, and that, my beloved, is this lying in the sand moment, right? He says, I, I, we can't go here. My house will be called the house of God. Um, your line drawn in the sand has to have this, this, this kind of understanding. It's got to be of the person of the Holy Spirit. It's got to be in accordance with God's word. And it's got to be motivated by making God known and his ways exalted. All right? It can't be just a reaction that you're tired or something. Or it can't be that. Sometimes we do that. We draw a line in the sand because someone's annoying to us. Okay, whatever. But that's not biblically what it means to live a holy life. That's just drawing a line in the sand because you're annoyed with somebody. Okay? And that, that's not what we're talking about. And we often think of drawing a line in the sand as only something like that limits us from a certain kind of activity. I think it's way more than that. Sometimes I think you draw a line in the sand of what you will always do and what you will become as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we see all kinds of uh, examples of this uh, sort of uh, line in the sand thing by biblical examples. And since it's Mother's Day, I thought, well, let's look at a couple of women who, who do lines in the sand and were people of just great faith uh, that they, nothing would deter them from their following and allegiance to, to the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to begin with the woman with the issue of blood. In, in Mark chapter 5, we, you can read about her story. 
But I know she had heard of Jesus healing folks. And she thought, if I can just touch his robe, if I can just touch the corner of his robe. In, in, in Jewish culture, oftentimes, the corner of the robe would have a tassel. And that would represent the authority of that person. And, and, and a lot of scholars think she wanted to just touch that tassel. What she was saying is, I'm going to put myself under your authority. I'm going to put myself under your healing, Lord Jesus. And, and she was determined to be healed. And she wasn't deterred by the crowd. She wasn't deterred by her physical weakness. She wasn't deterred by what others think. She was determined. She was all in. I want to get healed. And that was her line in the sand. Nothing's going to stop me from getting healed here by the Lord Jesus Christ. And she is going to touch Jesus. And she touched him. And she was what? Healed. That's a line in the sand. We may not think of it that way, but that's what that is. I'm going to have great faith in Christ. I'm going to follow him no matter what anybody thinks, no matter what it, 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 you know, it, it means. I'm going to follow him with everything I got. I'm all in. That's a line in the sand. With, that, with the same kind of steadfast faith, uh, the woman of Canaan in, in, in Matthew chapter 15 received her own miracle. The line in the sand was she wanted her daughter healed. She wanted her daughter healed no matter what. And she wasn't going to leave until she got a word from Jesus that her daughter was healed. But initially, Jesus just ignored her, and so did the disciples. And and then when she kind of got his attention, he goes, why would I give food to the dogs? That's not complimentary. I mean, that's not being very, you know, giving her a compliment here or something. It's just terrible, you know. She was not deterred. She says, yeah, but even the dogs eat the crumbs under the table. What an answer of humility and great faith she shows there. And she says, I'm not leaving, Lord, until you, till you do something here. And he says, woman, your faith is great. She's healed. Go. See, that's drawing the line in the sand, isn't it? Resolving to be a person of faith no matter what. And these two women of the Bible just demonstrate that, man, exponentially. They just demonstrate it. So here's what we're going to do. On this very first point, because I think this is super important, I, I put together just a little um, uh, uh, paragraph to be read out loud. I call it I Resolve Paragraph, based on Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 through 3. So I want you to read this out loud together with, with me, and I pray that this becomes a line in the sand that us here at Grace Point begin to embrace and, and, and to say, this is part of, of how I will do my, my faith. So would you read this out loud with me, please, and, and read it loudly? I resolve that since I am surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, I will throw off all that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and run the race you have for me with perseverance. I will fix my eyes on you, Jesus, the author and perfecter of my faith. For the joy set before you, you endured the cross, scorning its shame, and you now sit at the Father's right hand. I will consider you who endured such opposition so that I will not grow weary of well-doing. Hey, that's a line in the sand. Amen? And that's a line in the sand any follower of Jesus Christ who wants to live holy in this fractured world should embrace. You should just resolve, I'm going to fix my eyes. I'm, gonna, I'm fixated on you, Jesus Christ. And I'm surrounded by this cloud of witnesses, those who have gone before me. I'm going to live my life in a way that brings glory to your name and people will exalt you. Because when we draw a line biblically in the sand, it has the name of God involved with it. And we're trying to exalt his name. Those things are part of that equation. All right, let's go on uh, and, and look at uh, another aspect of this drawing of the line in the sand here that we see demonstrated by by uh, Daniel. Dave made this connection in prayer. I wasn't thinking about this, but I'll make this connection now too. Back in the pandemic, 
we did a series from Romans. Anybody remember that? On authority of all things. In the middle of all that angst and anxiety and all that battling, I tread where no man ought to ever tread, right? We picked it out a year before that. It, I didn't know there was going to be a pandemic. It was part of our Romans series, amen? It, and I was determined to finish Romans because what I start, I like to finish. I'm a little weird that way, okay? And so I'm in the middle of this uh, pandemic with all of you, and I'm thinking, we're going to talk about how we should submit to our authorities. This is going to go over great, church. It's going to be a nice unifying moment for us. Well, guess what? We're right back to it again here in Daniel, the exact same topic matter. And um, so if we didn't get in round one or two or three, here we go, round four on this, I guess. This is important stuff to get because God's ways are not man's ways. And so I want you to hear this, this, this point. Uh, it's interesting. Daniel made an appeal to his authority. Daniel made an appeal to his authority. And so he, he had this conviction. He had this, this, this resolve, this line in the sand. So there's that relational dynamic of staying true to yourself. But at the same time, he understood he was in authority. He understood that relationship. That's why I say there's a plethora of relationships going on here. He understood this, this, this official is over me. And he made an appeal uh, to this official that he should not defile himself this way. And God, we're told, had moved on this official's heart. So this official was showing da- Daniel favor and compassion. So God's already at work in this situation. He's already moving the official to, to be acceptable and, and, and agreeable uh, with Daniel's request. Uh, I went to that reliable source of the internet because every now and then I just want to get a good laugh. How about you? And I looked up the word appeal just to see what was said. Oh my goodness. And I looked at appeal to authority. Nobody says she should do that. That's stupid. And most authorities are wrong. And there was this cynicism. There's this negativity. And this conversation that we're seeing. And I thought, yeah, this is not the way of the world. The way of the world says your authority usually is a bad person. If you watch the movies, most of the time, one of the villains is somebody in authority. Right? Right? Nope, you don't watch the movies. Okay. That's good. Don't watch those movies. They're terrible. Anyway, so God's already working at heart in, in the official. And, and you got to remember, whenever we're dealing with something like drawing a, a line in the sand, we're dealing with trying to live a holy life in the midst of a fractured world, there's a bigger thing going on here. It's about God. It's not about us. See, this thing with Daniel wasn't about food. It was about God's name being exalted and God's ways being exalted. And the food was a means and a method uh, to get to that end. Um, remember when Israel was being delivered from, from Egypt and the Exodus, I said this last week, it, it was about God's name being made great, God being made known among the nations. And the means was the exodus of Israel from Egypt by signs and wonders. Well, once again here in the book of Daniel, it appears that the nation of, of, of Judah and Israel is no more. They've been defeated. They've been deported, right? They're no more. The gods of Babylon supposedly have triumphed. But what's going to happen to Daniel? God's going to make himself known. He's going to show how great he is. And his means is going to be to work through people like Daniel and others who are obedient to him. And so even as Daniel is doing this, drawing the line in the sand thing, what it's about is this, making God known. Amen? Making his ways known and giving cause for his name to be exalted and and praised uh, uh, among people. And so whenever you're going to draw a line in the sand, that kind of consideration has to be percolating in your mind. Is this about God being exalted? Is this about his ways being magnified? It can't be about reaction. It can't be about getting your way. 
You can draw a line in the sand for that, and that might be healthy for relationships, but that's not holy living. That's just drawing a line in the sand because you don't want to deal with it anymore, okay? If you want to be a person who lives holy, then the motive has to be what? To exalt God's name and to make his name known. We don't war against flesh and blood. We say that here at church frequently. We war against principalities and every high thing that exalts itself against the name name of our our God. We must be convinced that God's greater than any situation that we face. We have to be convinced of that. It has to be core in our our, our being. And, And we don't do things like the world. And as strange as they may seem at times, we don't work the way the world works. And, and, and God will often work through those who are in authority. Uh, think about this uh, with me for a moment. We're told that this official had, or had, had God giving him favor towards Daniel. But I think Daniel partnered in that favor. I think Daniel was a winsome guy. You can call it likability or whatever you want to call it there. I think Daniel worked on presenting in such a way that it was least offensive or possible making the point. I mean, he draws a line in the sand, but we're told immediately he appeals. He appeals to his, his um, authority. And I think Daniel was a bit winsome. And you combine that with God's spirit working on this official and, God, and Daniel's, Daniel being winsome, and, and you got kind of a favor situation going on here. This guy wants Daniel to succeed. He wants him to do okay. Besides, if he fails, he loses his head. Right? Did you hear that? I like my head. How about you? I'm sure that was this guy's perspective at any rate. Um, And I pray, I pray, Grace Point folks, listen, that God graces us with a winsome spirit. That we're not known for what we're against as much as we're knowing what we're for. That we love Jesus with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That uh, my heart breaks when I see those who are just super combative and argumentative. And they're doing it in the name of Jesus. And I'm going, oh man, all right, whatever. I don't know if this is going to work. It usually doesn't work, you know. The old saying, you, you, you get more flies with honey than vinegar is probably true. I hate to use those little sayings like that. But it is true to some measure. And so um, we got to make sure that we have the, the heart of Daniel when we're doing uh, some of our convictional standing in our culture. And that is that we are willing to see that God's greater than the situation. That he often will work in ways that we can't imagine. And sometimes he'll work through the most strange people in our lives. If we will have the faith and allow it to happen, I think that's really important. Number three here, if you're taking notes, Daniel empathized with this authority. Not only did he appeal to this authority, he actually empathized with this authority. When Daniel asked to eat vegetables, um, he was asking his authority, you take a risk with me because if it doesn't work, you can, you can, you can be in big trouble with the, the king, your lord. And so this official was being asked to take a chance along with Daniel. But Daniel had a plan. Now, there's a, there, we'll get to that in a moment. But there's a plethora of relational dynamics. I just love this about this story. First of all, you have Daniel here saying true to himself. Oftentimes, that's where drawing a line in the sand begins. Is we're, we're, we're saying true to ourselves and some conviction that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. But then Daniel had the wherewithal to understand uh, the relationship he had with his official. And he wasn't combative. He was, he, was, he was cooperative. And he made an appeal with this guy. And then not only that, but I think Daniel actually listened to him. He actually listened to the guy in authority over him when he said, hey, if this doesn't go well, I lose my head. You're asking me to put it online for you. Why should I do that? And I think Daniel empathized with him. So, um, so um, what Daniel, I think, was realizing that, that, that is that God's name was going to be made known by this trial. And everything done was being in preparation for God to move in a way that would make his name known and his power great. 
And so I think he had that sense. Now, the person who desires to live in a holy life in a fractured world got to realize that above all else, what matters is obedience to God in his ways, that God should be exalted no matter what's going on, and that God is bigger than whatever seems so large in our lives. Some of you wear glasses, don't you? I wear these things. I absolutely hate them. I mean, they're nice to see. They're super uncomfortable and they're super annoying. Um, I wore contacts for probably 20 years until I got to that magic age of 44. And then I had to wear reading glasses with my contacts in order to read, which I thought, that's stupid. I might as well just wear glasses now, you know, because it's just who wants to do all that nonsense, right? One of the things I really hate about glasses, I don't know if there's a picture up here, I think they'll show up here, is that. I hate it when they're dirty. Anybody with me on that? If you have glasses? Don't, Nick, Nick said, yeah, you're right. I, I get the specs on my glasses. I hate, that's all I see. Uh, a, focus on that stupid speck. You know what? It's inevitable. If you can't relate to glasses, you can relate to this. You stop at the gas station, you fill up the tank, you scrub that windshield down, and you drive five miles, and flat, right there, it's this grasshopper, right there. Right? <laughs> Right in the middle of, and you go, oh, no. And then you do the, make the big mistake, a rookie mistake. You turn the windshield wipers on. And if you're really a rookie, you forget to put the spray on first. And you go, and then you go, then you're driving like this. And it's just so annoying. All you see is that grasshopper. All you see, if you've got the glasses on, is all dirt specks. It drives you nuts. Um, that's kind of what happens to us as followers of Jesus sometimes. We, we are so consumed with the specks and the dirt and the up-close issues and the circumstances that we're, we're facing that it clouds our perspective. We don't see what God's up to. We don't see what he wants to accomplish. We don't see the big picture because we're so busy being distracted by these, these annoyingly close-up you know, tough situations sometimes. Um, and what we have to purposely do as followers of Jesus, and I think Daniel was masterful at this, is we have to see beyond the circumstance to see what God wants to do. We have to fix our eyes on God. Or as the New Testament says, we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And it brings all these other circumstances in, into their proper perspective. So see, this thing with Daniel wasn't just about the food. If we think it's about the food, then we think the victory is vegetables, and that's terrible. But the victory was what God did in the lives of Daniel and his friends, because they, they, they were resolving not to be defiled. They were, they were, you know, appealing to their authority. They were empathetic to their, the ones that were over them. They had all this godliness going on, this holy living in the midst of this unholy place. And I think God's name was being exalted here. I think his name was being lifted up. And, the, and this official saying, these gods are different. They're really different. And God's beginning to shine through the witness of Daniel. And then we get to this last point here. I think this is really key. Daniel presented a plan that was reliant on God and took the concerns of the official then into consideration. He not only empathized with him, he did something about it. Daniel wasn't just against something. He was for something. He said, listen, I'm going to uh, try me out. Test us for 10 days. We'll eat vegetables just for 10 days. Let's see how it goes. And, and if it goes well, then allow us to do this and not to defile ourselves by eating the royal food. Daniel models a character quality critical for holy living in a fractured world. Be for something. 
What are you for, not what are you against? We cannot let ourselves, brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, be defined by what we're against. That's, that's, that, we can't do that. We gotta be defined by what we're for. What are we for? Not what are we against? And God showed himself strong on the behalf of Daniel and friends. And they looked healthier and, 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 and after 10 days. It was obvious that this diet was working. And I'm sure this guy marveled at that because I'm th- sure when he gets all the science of the day, all the thought of the day, I thought, wow, this shouldn't work, but it's working. And it, 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 I spoke to the official. But get this, you and I, we got to be for some things. You know what we got to be? We got to be for the peace of Jesus Christ. Peace has to prevail. Wherever you go, you're a peace bearer. Amen? You bring the culture of peace. You set the thermostat in the room. Be a peace person. You've got to be a person full of joy. If you're saved in Christ, the joy of your salvation is your strength. You've got to see beyond the circumstances, see beyond the specks of dirt that are clouding your vision at the time. And you've got to have joy that, that, is, that you know, surpasses whatever you're facing. So you've got to be a person of peace, a person of joy. Um, we've got to have faith that's unshakable. If you want to just be messed around, just read about the economic situation of our country right now. If you want to just be messed up, just read that a lot. We've got to be people of unshakable faith. Daniel had a plan that was relying on God, but it was a plan of unshakable faith. It was a plan of expectation of what God could do in the situation. And the results are amazing. After the 10-day period, he and his friends are, are, are better off than the other youth. And then we find out the real benefit of all this. It's not that they get to eat vegetables the rest of their life. No, that's not the benefit of this. The benefit is this. The Lord graced the Hebrew young man to understand literature and learning. In other words, they were culturally smart. They're emotionally intelligent. They got what was going on in the Babylonian culture. They were masterful at understanding that. They were found to have great wisdom. Daniel specifically could interpret visions and dreams. As followers of Jesus, you and I should be ones full of knowledge. All the ways of God. Wisdom is just applying that knowledge in appropriate action. We should know how to take the knowledge of God, the ways of the Bible, and apply them to our lives. We should be people of great knowledge and great wisdom. We should be affecting culture, not being drifted along by culture. Amen? And Daniel, not only that, he had the spiritual spiritual side of his life. He could interpret dreams and visions. God gifted him spiritually. Now listen, you and I, we are filled with the person of the Holy Spirit, and he's gifted us. We don't live according to the ways of this world. We live according to the Spirit of God in us. We are gifted. And it's time, brothers and sisters, that the church of Jesus Christ isn't drug along, reacting against stuff. We got to be out in front living for Christ. Relying upon the Holy Spirit, embracing God's word. Anyway, we're done. We're going to pray. That was abrupt. If you want to continue on, um, you can look for further study, but let's pray because Kyle's got a great song and I want to give plenty of time for this song. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Lord God, I want to thank you for the, for the life of Daniel and his friends. And just, we're just, I feel like we're just tickling this subject matter with these first couple messages, Lord, from the book of Daniel. And I, I pray for more than anything that we would take to heart some aspect of the message today. Something, Lord, that we're going to say, okay, I'm going to do my life a little bit different because of this. And that uh, we would be like Daniel, that we'd be models of holy living in a fractured world, Lord. Grace us to love Jesus with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Grace us to know his word. Grace us to be filled with the person of the Holy Spirit, Lord. 
And may these be the motives in for when we draw a line in the sand. And may the outcome be that your name is exalted, that people are drawn unto you, that your ways are seen as the true ways, Lord. And may it be done in, a, in such a way, Lord, that's winsome and life-changing for us and for those around us, Lord. We love you and praise you and thank you for the example, Daniel. And we pray in your name, Jesus. Amen.